I ran across uh, this little thing, uh, and it's always nice to see the. Uh, we get a chance to have a little window into, into the personality. Uh, in 1888, uh, Joseph F. Smith uh, was in Hawaii with his wife, and uh, in, in uh, Salt Lake, they got a letter back from them. Uh, and when they opened the letter, all they found was a cotton ball and a dead flea in the cotton ball. Okay, and a poem. Accept <laughs> the dying embers of this festive little flea. Joseph F. Smith right, wrote this. <clears throat> As a token of remembrance from Toddy J. and me. <laughs> How often he has nipped our shins while lurking in our house and tickled us beneath the ribs the flea would only know. But at last Jay caught him napping in the folding of her stocking and the way she squeezed his life out was particularly shocking. <laughs> and he felt, he felt enough about that that he should like capture the flea and then send it to Salt Lake for the family to read. I just think that's wonderful. Okay. With that said, then, uh, what we're, it's, it's funny, this last couple of weeks ahead of finishing up this semester, and the, and the nice thing is, uh, I can't tell you what a, uh, from, from the standpoint of an instructor, it is so nice to have as much time as we've had on the Doctrine and Covenants. I got a year and a half, and we're only, we're finishing up, we still have another semester on the final third or so of the Doctrine and Covenants, which has given us a chance to look a little bit more specifically at things. And this stretch that we're going through was a particularly hard stretch for the prophet and for Joseph, for uh, the brethren that have been preparing to go out to Zion. They get out to Zion. Second coming's coming in just a few years. Here he built the temple. Get your inheritance. And then the mobs come and they're being driven out of Jackson County and all of the, now what do we do? And not only that, what do we do with the saints? Do we leave them now that they're, they're like drowned rats on the other side of the river in Clay County? Do we have them come home to Kirtland? Do we leave them there? Do we join them out there? What do we do? So there were just a lot of questions and it just was not fitting what they had prepared. So really, really a hard time for them. And so the Lord is going to give them some particular instruction during this stretch. And particularly on the subject of Zion. So as we're talking about Zion, I wanted to uh, draw on uh, the, uh, uh, the great uh, St. Hugh Nibley, the patron, patron saint of BYU. Um, and, and run a quote by, by you. Because in his, in his uh, later years, just before he kind of retired... Uh, he wrote a series of books about, or a series of articles about Zion, specifically. Uh, and he had some very strong opinions about Zion. And, and every time I start taking a look at, at you know, I want to kind of reject him, and then I start reading through, it's like, I can't argue with the man. And I would be done to do that anyway. But. God has given us the perfect definition. Zion is the pure in heart. The pure in heart, not merely the pure in appearance. 
It is not a society or religion of forms and observances, of pious gestures and precious mannerisms. It is strictly a condition of the heart. Above all, Zion is pure, which means not mixed with any impurities, unalloyed. It is all Zion and nothing else. It is not achieved wherever a heart is pure or where two or three are pure because it is all pure. It is a society, a community, and an environment into which no unclean thing can enter. It is not even pure people in a dirty environment or pure people with a few impure people, a pure, a, with a few impure ones among them. It is perfectly pure in a perfectly pure environment. How are we doing so far? I know, me too. But wait, there's more. This makes it so different from our world that it almost begins to sound distasteful. But a moment's reflection will show that Zion cannot possibly be other than wholly pure. For Zion is the eternal order. It has existed elsewhere from the eternities and will someday be permanently established on this earth. Even the smallest impurity or flaw in anything designed to continue forever would, in the course of an infinite stretching of time, become a thing of infinite mischief. The most perfect structures men have been able to erect have been short-lived because of tiny but, but all but imperceptible flaws. Hence, any flaw, no matter how small, must be removed from a system designed to be timeless. Otherwise, there will be no end of trouble. I think if you, if you look at the... Uh, anybody ever seen the, the movie Apollo 13? Remember that they had this explosion along the way, and ultimately when they get done with looking at all of the problems, it came down to like a little flaw in one little piece that had, had, that had been built in two years before the flight ever went. And it was just a little tiny thing. Or the, the Challenger uh, uh, disaster was one little O-ring with a crack in it. One little flaw and went under the pressure of everything we put on it and everything goes up. Okay? So, I think that's... Okay. So, reactions to this. How do we do this? Isn't that... Aren't we, aren't we being called upon to do an impossible standard? Because I love the phrase, it is all Zion and nothing else. Yes. Well, that, that's kind of, and that, isn't that where the great dilemma is? Isn't it as long as we are here in the world, there is going to be imperfection? Yeah. When we reach the other, if we have lived and done what we are supposed to do, we attain that perfection from Jesus. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And, and so there, this is the standard. This is what we're going for. We constantly... That's why we take the sacrament every week, isn't it? Because we are aware of our impurities. And yet, look at what the look at where we're supposed to be going. Look at what the whole goal of all of this is, is to become Zion. Yeah. Leilani, who's back from uh, her travels. 
Possible? Is it doable? It's not even pure people in a dirty environment or pure people with a few impure ones among them. It is perfectly pure in a perfectly pure environment. That's our goal. That's, but that means that we've got to then be able to assist one another in helping each other with the clean hands part, teaching our kids about the atonement so that they can have the pure hearts.
And that was the scary part to this. Okay? So, let's look at... Uh, let's go to section 97. If we can. In preparing for this and looking at this, I realized I could probably go two or three lessons on verse 8 all by itself. It is so laden with meaning uh, that it was almost hard to go on and do anything else because my brain wanted to keep going back to this. Because there's an incredible concept being taught here. And if you'll see it, it should open up a number of things. Okay? Verily I say unto you, all among who know their hearts are honest and are broken and their spirits are contrite and are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice. Every sacrifice which I the Lord shall command, they are accepted of me. Okay, now, whenever, we, whenever we're going to move forward with the Lord, we do so by covenant. Do we not? Okay. Now, so the Lord is going to make promises to us. We covenant with Him to do certain things, right? Now, what He's saying to you, every covenant that is made needs to be bound by what? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is the glue. It is the, it is the required piece to any covenant or promise that we make. Now, think about it on God's side. Does he sacrifice? What sacrifice does he make? His son. What sacrifice does the son make? His life. His blood. The laying down of his perfect life. In other words, if he's going to make a promise to us, he's going to sacrifice, and it was by process of his son that he would make this sacrifice to us. Okay, now... What sacrifice do we make in return? Contrite heart. Contrite heart, broken heart, what else? What else do we promise to sacrifice? Our will, our time, talents, all. So we say we're going to we're going to do this by sacrifice, and that's how we come back with him. He sacrificed with us, we sacrificed with Him. A number of churches that are struggling are beginning to discover that they have worked very hard at making church very, very easy. We're not going to require much from our people. How are those churches doing? Struggling. Because we're trying to make it easier, but in the process of making it easier, we remove the sacrifice, and in removing the sacrifice... We lost the commitment. We lost the covenant. And in fact, the churches that are growing are the ones that have the most stringent requirements. Okay? Now, why is my question. Why is sacrifice such an integral part of this whole covenant process? What is there about sacrifice? If we don't even remember, and we go back, we've talked about this before. The problem with Adam and Eve when they first fell 
they were going to kind of take care of their sin by, well, let's do a few fig leaves. We'll kind of, you know, cover that thing up. And the Lord said, no, pure sacrifice and repentance will require a sacrifice of blood. Therefore, I will cover you with animal skins, coat of skins that would require the shedding of blood. That is a true sacrifice, not a sort of sacrifice. It needs to be a blood sacrifice. Why? That kind of gory? Wow. Why is sacrifice so integral to this process? Uh -huh. How do they take care of it compared to if they pay for it themselves? If they sacrifice it, they make the investment themselves. They care about it more. They've made the investment. Kids that have paid for something that they own, if they contributed to it somehow when they were, they value it more than something you just gave them. They sacrifice. Okay? Life is in the book. It is. And, and, and we're going there. Yeah. contrite spirit thing. It's there, right? Are broken and their spirits are contrite. He just added one more piece to that broken heart. That this is going to be an honest heart, an honest and broken heart to go along with that contrite spirit, right? But listen, but read it very carefully. 
Um, I verily I say unto you all among them who what? No. Who knows? You know. You know. Let me reverse that. Does God know your heart? There's the old, the old story, and it's true when, uh, that I've, I've talked about before when, when uh, Truman Madison took uh, Hubie Brown to the Holy Land and was giving him a tour and everything, and they get up to Mount Moriah, and he asked about Abraham and Isaac, and, and what was the blessing to Abraham? Well, uh, it was seed, it was posterity. And then uh, Brother Madison said, then why, oh why, oh why would the Lord require him to sacrifice his hope of posterity. Remember it was Hubie uh, Brown's response. Abraham had to learn something about Abraham. Did God know about Abraham? Did God know his heart? Did God know he, who he was in the pre-existence? Did he know what he was capable of? What he, had his, what he was going to be doing years from now? Absolutely. Who didn't know? Abraham didn't know. Abraham had to go through this experience to prove himself to God? No. Abraham had to go through that experience to prove himself to himself. To himself. That's why it is in Alma 41 in, in, in the Book of Mormon it talks about the fact that we are our own judges. Who will judge us? We judge us. Why? We have to know who we are. Does God know who we are? Yes. But we don't know who we are. <clears throat> now, let me ask you again. What is the purpose of sacrifice? So we can what? So we can come to know ourselves the way that God knows us. Sacrifice is how we are, how we come to understand who we are and what we are. Does that make sense? So, among, among them who know their hearts are honest, somewhere in the process they've learned something about their heart that they didn't know. Yeah. I think this is very telling because um, Satan gets this to our very core. Well, this is an important principle to us because that's one of the first things that he clouds is trying to tweak what we think about ourselves. Yes. So it's very hard for us to really see who we are because he has cloud and doubt and stuff. So it's very hard for us to reach that point. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child. And now I see through a glass darkly. A mirror. I look into a mirror darkly. I don't see me very well. That is a particular danger when we struggle with uh, things that people have put on us in the past and we start to believe the lies we were told when we were 13 and 14. You know, at 11 about you're stupid or you're dumb. You don't deserve this. And we don't know who we are. Sometimes I like to make me think of that show, um, who do you, what would you do? And sometimes in those situations I like to think, yeah, I would step in. Yeah. Or I would not let that happen. I don't think we can know for sure. 
We don't know. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have that direct knowledge yet of how. Will Will I be obedient? If If I were in the time of the Savior, would I be uh, yelling for His death, or would I be with Him? Uh, if I am uh, If I'm in Nauvoo, am I going to follow Brigham Young across the plains? Am I going to hang out in Nauvoo? You know? Do you know? We think we know, but we don't know. Okay, um, there is this process, and and those who know that their hearts are honest and are willing to observe their covenants by sacrifice. Joseph Smith said, "It is through the medium of sacrifice of all earthly things that men do actually know that they are doing the things that are well pleasing in the sight of God. When a man has offered in sacrifice all that he has." For the truth's sake, and believing before God that he has been called to make that sacrifice because he seeks to do his will, he does know that God does and will accept his sacrifice and offering, and that he has not, nor will not seek his face in vain. The purpose of sacrifice is not to prove one thing to God. He already knows who you are. The purpose of sacrifice is to know ourselves, to know what we will do and to the extent to which we will follow. Now, here's one that you guys have uh, seen before. And Jerry, you'll like this one.
part of the Ellsworth Hancock Company, the first Hancock Company to attend the trek. From the beginning, it was a perilous journey. Thursday, June 26, 1856. Traveled about one mile. It was very hot. Only half pound of flour allowed to bread each day. With so much hunger, death soon joined our trip. The young and the feeble were first to succumb.
We need the host of the fall. But how do you ever going to get that in the fall? You're going to walk. I'm married well, my love. You
his leg was cut off just below the knee with a box on But as terrible as the amputation was, the worst of it was infection. Spring came, but the infection never did. When the leg began to heal, Robert took a piece of birch wood and made a peg leg genius articulating angle. He carved a little hole in it and lined the inside with a piece of leather. He made straps to fit around his waist and hold the leg in place. When he was able, he put it on and despite the pain, walked around the house without on their back. Eventually,
level of sacrifice I don't understand yet. How confident do you think Brother Moyle would be standing before the Lord? And understand something about his commitment. And the only way that he could do that was by sacrifice. It's just an incredible thing. So, all right. Any comments on that? every time you see the Salt Lake Temple to see what he would carve. So. Alright. Well, let's kind of let's kind of move on then. Section 97 and then into 101. The Lord intended for these people to know what it would take to have that level of sacrifice. Um, it's my will that a house be built unto me in the land of Zion. Uh that there may be a house built unto me for the salvation of Zion. Verse 13, for a place of what? Thanksgiving. You ever think about going to the temple just because you're so grateful? Okay. That they may be perfected in the understanding of their ministry, in theory and in principle and in doctrine, in all things... Um, and then an interesting kind of thing here. And inasmuch as my people build a house to me unto me in the name of the Lord and do not suffer any unclean thing to come into it, that it be not defiled, my glory shall rest upon it, my presence shall be there, I will come unto it for all the pure in heart that shall come into it shall see God. That's a dual promise. <coughs> That was specifically this temple, but also I would, I would suspect any temple. Okay? Now, one of the harshest things we have in the church, or outside the church, is what happens when somebody needs to, is going to get married in the temple and they have family that's non-members. How do we explain that to them? Isn't that an awful cruel thing that we do? To not, to not let non-members into the temple. And yet to have them understand why it is a hard thing too. But do we understand the level of commitment? Alright. Um... He has sworn by the power of his might to be her salvation and her high tower. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, let Zion rejoice. This is Zion, the pure in heart. Therefore, let Zion rejoice while the wicked shall mourn. So, I guess the question that I have, as we kind of lead into this, comes back to, how's your heart? How do you feel your heart is? 
How do you do it? Or if somebody's going to give you a gift, are you going to accept that gift? Because maybe you're just not worthy of it. Do you know the condition of your heart? And the thing that makes us interesting is that it's such an internal process. Nobody else knows where we think our heart is. And yet my experience with a lot of members of the church sitting in my office, and I start asking, how are you? How's your heart? What do you think I'm listening to all day? As a counselor. I don't deserve that much. I've got, I can see all my flaws pretty clearly. How's your heart? Not good. What a great tool for Satan. You know, to just attack us so that we are no longer comfortable with ourselves. No now, way back. Yeah, there's no way back. Now, where does this show up the most, I think? Yeah, if you look for just a second, uh, if you'll just indulge me here, I want you to turn for just a second, because uh, we're going to, after the first of the year, we're going to look at this a lot more clearly. But I want it under this context, I want you to look to uh, section 121. It's the very last verse. Second to the last verse. Let's see. Trish, you got that? I want to read verse 45. Because he's really talking about the fact that uh, as we kind of refine ourselves, then he's going to use an interesting phrase. Let thy bowels also be full of charity toward all men, towards all men, and to the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. And then, now listen to this next phrase, because it goes right to what we're talking about. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the, as the dews from heaven. Okay. If you're needing something, and you're struggling in your life, and you're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and it's like, I need an answer, I need guidance, I need help, what difference does it make whether you go to, the, to God in confidence? Does your confidence wax strong or does it wax, wax weak? I think it's strongly related to the quality of our faith. Yes. And even the quality of faith in? In Jesus Christ. First of all. And then, look, look at where we're going here. It is, do I have faith in me? Do I have faith as my confidence wax strong that my heart is honest? That it not, this is just honest. Is he saying perfect? No, he's saying honest. I know my heart is honest and imperfect. And I need his perfection. I need his purifying power. Do your prayers have a different power to them if your heart is honest? Or if you're somehow trying to hide something from him? Pretend you don't know about this. <laughs> it's, 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 it's such an internal thing. I'm watching, I'm watching you... Uh, 
struggle as you look at all this. Does that make sense? In other words, so that, this is where confidence waxes strong. This is where we know who we are. And again, knowing who we are doesn't mean that we're, we're going to assume that we're automatically perfect. It just says we begin to get this sense that I, I have sacrificed, I believe I can go with a certain amount of belief that the Lord will recognize what I've done. Imperfect as it is. And ask for a purifying power Because okay. again, are we proving anything to God? Nah. Yeah, but He knows who we are. This, today is about coming to prove to ourselves who we are. Okay, now with along, along with that then, let's look at, uh, let's go over to uh, section 101. Let's figure out how, your, how the heart is. Get, get a little window into your soul from time to time here. Okay. Because again, if we go back, here's all, the, here's all these saints and they're wondering, why? Why did these things happen to us? Now, uh, verily I say unto you concerning your brethren who have been afflicted and persecuted and cast out, I, the Lord, suffered the affliction to come upon them. They've been afflicted in consequence of their transgressions. Then look at verse 3. Yet I will own them. Okay? Now that's related to another word. We are sometimes called, as saints, we are called a peculiar people. And remember, the word peculiar in this case means peculiar to Him. We are owned by Him. We are purchased by Him, by His sacrifice. I, 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 I've come to own you. I will own them and they shall be mine in that day when I shall come to make up my jewels. Okay, now... Wherefore, they must needs be chastened and tried even as... Okay, so what did Abraham do to deserve the stuff he went through? It was by virtue of his, who he was, wasn't it? Because if you're, if you're one of these saints and you've been in Jackson County and you went out there and okay, you've been doing some stuff you should be kind of bickering and all those kind of stuff, but now you've lost everything... And you're on the other side of the river, having lost it all, it's on the other side of Jackson County. What did you do to this level of chastening? Okay. 
See, C.S. Lewis used to say, uh, sometimes when we ask God to spare us from persecution and from trials, we're really asking Him to love us less. Okay. Alright, so they must be chastened and tried even as Abraham. Hold on to that, because this is going to because we're he's going to use another word that I think comes even closer. Okay, behold, I say unto you, here's here's the things that these saints struggled with. Not that this ever happens today, but let's just say this was going on with them. I say unto you, there were jarrings. Like that word? You ever been you ever been in a situation? And a group of people in a ward or something like that, and there were jarrings. I like that. There were jarrings, contentions, envies, and strifes, and lustful and covetous desires among them. Therefore, by these things, now listen to this word, they what? Polluted their inheritance. Okay, now he's got, he, he's used this word before, he's about to use it again. He talked about that a lot of these saints were salt that had lost its savor. We decided that what that meant was the salt maintains its flavor, but it lost its savor. How does it do that? Impurity. Impurities have to be mixed with it. They had polluted their inheritance with jarrings and contentions and envies and all of those kind of things. Those are the impurities that God makes with what should be pure. How do you know you have the best gold that you buy? It is pure. I want to know. Does it have all of the impurities removed? Well, how do we, if we're going to take a Zion people, and I'm thinking about it again, we had a we had a member, we had a new member baptized over the weekend, and we stood him up in sacrament meeting yesterday, and we said, okay, all those who can accept this new good brother in our heart, please do so with the uplifted hand. We did that. What did we just do? Set him in. You make him part. Okay? Um, now, here's the other way that they did it. They were slow to hearken to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord their God is slow to hearken in their prayers to answer them in the day of their trouble. And I love this. In the day of their peace, they esteemed lightly my counsel. But in the day of their trouble, of necessity, they feel after me. You get that sense? I was trying to... Where is he? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to feel for him. You ever get caught in this one? Part of this polluting that we do is that when, when things are going well, what do we do? Yeah, we're doing good. When things are going poorly? You ever tried this one? Not... I don't have any personal experience with this, but let's just... You really need a good answer to a prayer. Job change, things going on in your life, 
So what are you going to do? It's time to supercharge my spirituality, right? I'm, I'm now going to start reading the scriptures uh, three times a day, and we will fast like every week, and, and I'm really going to kind of stop watching the, the crap that I've been watching on TV, and, and I'm just going to kind of get myself into a nice spiritual place. Why? I need an answer. I'm cramming <laughs> for a test. I'm taking my spiritual no-dose to get myself ready so that I can go to the temple and I will stay there till I get an answer. Okay? So now I've got myself spiritually supercharged. Now I can walk into the temple. Now I can go ahead and get my answer. Okay? And I'm going to work really hard at it. And I'm working, 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 working. Okay? We got the answer. Now what? Oh, yeah, I'll go back and watch the stuff. I don't have to read the scripture so much. No more. Until, until I need it again. Okay? Not that I've ever done that, but let, I'm just assuming that there are people <laughs> We esteem lightly his counsel when things are going well. And when they go poorly, oh, I'm going to try and get myself back on. i got, I got to be ready to get an answer. That was part of the strip. Okay? Now. So here comes the, the next little thing that, that he's gonna, he needs us to understand. How do we get ready to do this? Hold on. Therefore, he says, let your hearts be comforted concerning Zion. For all flesh is in my hands. Be still and know that I am God. Zion shall not be moved out of her place. Notwithstanding, her children are scattered. That's one of these eternal principles that we know. And we, and we talked about it previously. When people are righteous, they gather. When they are wicked, they are scattered. What's our what's our job as uh, in in as, uh, the seed of Joseph as Ephraim? What's our responsibility? Gather. We're supposed to go out and gather. That's our that's, that's our job, isn't it? Okay? And I mentioned this before. Let me just say this again in case you don't know. When, when we look at the, uh, I mentioned before, the, the baptismal font that we have in the temple, it has 12 oxen. What do the 12 oxen represent? Most of the time we think it's the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, for Woodruff says that it was one tribe of Israel. Ephraim. Joseph, going to the four directions of the earth to gather them in. Now, to a certain extent, it does also work in the 12 tribes of Israel because that's who we're gathering, right? 
But specifically, Joseph's symbol was that ox. And going to the four corners of the earth to, to gather, scatter Israel in. Joseph's symbol or Ephraim's? It was Ephraim's. Thank you. Ephraim's symbol is, about, is the ox. How many are how many here Ephraim? <laughs> you got responsibilities. Yeah. Don't we though? Think about that. When I, when when my I'm not sure my heart is honest. When I am not waxing very confident in the presence of the Lord, what do I do? I stay away. I will isolate myself. I will scatter myself from the saints. And then what do we have to do? We have to send somebody out to rescue you. It's all about the rescue now. Go get them and bring them back. Because people voluntarily scatter themselves. Okay? Now, what he's saying though, here was the dilemma. We took these saints, we sent them out to Missouri, they gained their inheritance. And there were jarrings and contentions, sometimes among them, oftentimes with them and the old settlers. You know, this is our land. This is our inheritance. There are thousands coming next year. Bummer. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, who all's coming? Well, only the righteous get to come from Ohio, Kirtland, are going to come out here to Missouri because they're the pure. And by the way, the horse racing and the gambling and the drinking and stuff. In Zion... This is the goodly land. This is our land, not your land. And here we come in big gobs. And by, by the way, if we get enough of us here, I understand you're the sheriff. I understand you're the mayor. If we get enough of us, guess what happens? We're voting you out. We'll get to set the rules and the laws, and we're going to get to take over. Because this is our land. This spot right here, there's going to be a new Jerusalem sitting here. I know you have a barn on it. The temple will go right on top. It's going away. In other words, we didn't handle ourselves very well in Missouri. And the jarring contentions were sometimes with the old settlers. I'm sorry, this is way off fact. Does this apply to the It's still about land, isn't it? Yeah. It's still about land and, and two people with uh, two different versions about who belongs on the land. But, but even more anciently, it's a fight between who? Two brothers, right? Be between Isaac, Jacob, and Ishmael. I mean, this goes, whose land is it? You know, Dad said... Abraham said, it's mine, and you know. Because again, if you go to, if you talk to anybody who is Muslim, will they tell you the story about Abraham merely sacrificing his son? They will. That's part of their story. Who did he almost sacrifice? Ishmael. 
Same story, different characters. But it's still about inheritance. It's still about land. Okay? So, when he talks about the fact that Zion shall not be moved out of her place. In other words, where's Zion? It's still Jackson County, Missouri, right? It's going to be the place of the New Jerusalem. That Zion physically. But now he's about to teach them something else about Zion. And now we're going right back to the condition of your heart. Okay? Zion shall not be moved out of her place, notwithstanding her children are scattered. Wait, how do they do this? If we're not in Zion, how can we still have Zion? If we're, if we're in Clay County, or Caldwell County, or Salt Lake, or Ghana... Zion will not be moved even if her children are scattered. And there's a dual meaning here. Okay? Uh, that they that remain and are pure in heart shall return. I've I, I told the story uh, a, a few times that uh, my pioneer uh, grandfather, Arza Heatley, uh, while, he while he was busy working on the Nauvoo Temple, hung for all of his life on a promise given to him by Brigham Young at lunchtime when everybody else was gone, only a couple of them working in the stone quarry and Brigham Young said, we're going to go out, we're going to leave this place, we're going to go out to the Rocky Mountains, but one day we will come back, meaning to Missouri. And Arza, to the end of his days, he died in 1901, was expecting at any moment that the call would go out and they would return. And it was only his journal in his dying days before he finally said, I guess I'm not. Because <laughs> they expected that. That they would be returning. Now, but he's going to introduce you to a, an, a different phrase. And we, we've, we've heard this before. This is where it starts. Okay? They that remain and are pure in heart shall return. Come to their inheritances, they and their children, with songs of everlasting joy. To build up the waste places of Zion and all these things that the prophets might be fulfilled. And behold, there is none other place appointed than that I have appointed. It's, it's right here. It's at the temple site. There it is. That is where Zion will rest during the second time. During the millennium. That's where it will be. Now, Listen closely. Until the day cometh when there is found no room for them. Let's put that differently. The old settlers in Jackson County and the mobs made no room for the saints. They were driven out of their inheritance. And through their own unworthiness, lack of pureness, they, they, the Lord wouldn't fight their battle. So because of that, there was no room found for them. Then I have other places which I, shall, I will appoint for them, and they shall be called what? Stakes. We had, they, could have called, they could have been called tent pegs, I guess. Then you would have been a tent peg president, I guess. 
Dumb 
Verse added, right? What? All right. So we dwell in the tent. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? You see what he did? He was driven from the wickedness that was out there. He went out and my father dwelt in a tent. What did he just do? He put out the tent pegs. He put out the tent. Here's the covering. And heresy of heresies. And sometimes the Book of Mormon has been attacked by those who don't understand. He sends the sons up to Jerusalem. They bring back the plates. They, they survived Laban and his dumbness. And they come back here. And now they have the brass plate. And what does Lehi do? He offers sacrifice. Thank offerings in front of the tent. Well, he, they weren't supposed to do that unless there was a temple. No. That's what happens when you can create that Zion. In other words, he went out and created a city where they can be. Give offerings and thankfulness and gratitude. And wherever that tent moved, there was Zion. With a prophet and revelation. It's not, a, it's not just a superfluous verse. Okay. So, finally. As we kind of come to this... Behold, it is my will that all they who call on my name and worship me together in mine everlasting gospel should gather together and stand in holy places. One of the marks of a Zion society is that they will have a holy place, even the temple. We will have our synagogues we're in a synagogue. This is where we meet. But specifically what we're looking for is to stand in a holy place. And all. And remember earlier, he calls the, the temple something else. He calls it a... Oh, it's in 97. He calls it a tower. Why would he do that? Why would the temple be described as a tower? Is that a watchtower? It is a watchtower. Okay. And the purpose of a watchtower is? Get closer to God. Number one, you can get a little bit closer, but if, if you're higher up, then what? You can see it far off, right? You can see what's coming. Now, let me ask you this then. The purpose of, we come back to the idea of the temple. The temple is, in the in, when we go to the temple, we're to receive an endowment. An endowment is a gift. We're going to receive an endowment of power. To do what? What is the purpose of the temple, the tower, inside? What do we do in the temple? Personal revelation about what? It's about 97. But what's the whole? What was the purpose of the temple? To realize who we are. 
And, and we will come to know who we are in the temple by doing what? Sacrifice. We will perform the ordinances. They are sacrificed. They are the sacrifice of our time, talent, and effort to go to the ordinance of salvation for ourselves and for our dead. We are sacrificing for them. In the process of coming to perform those sacrifices for our kindred dead, again, what are we learning? Who we are. It's, it's all, it, it, at the end of the day, it's coming to know who we are and who the Lord intends us to be and by understanding what Adam and Eve went through, understanding the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that have come down to us, suddenly we get it very clearly who we are. What a marvelous, marvelous, powerful thing. I, I think I, I mentioned that uh, Cindy and I flew up to, to Utah uh, a few weeks ago and, and uh, sitting next to uh, Cindy was this was this gal that was uh, flying on to San Francisco, and she and had the most amazing hair. I'm not, and, and it was like it was like electric orange kind of thing, and it was kind of short and kind of and and she had lots of piercings, and some pretty wild tattoos down her arm. She was kind of amazing. Um, and, and Cindy tried to kind of make conversation with her, and she wasn't having any of that. She was going to kind of stay in her world. Now, C.S. Lewis would say, someone like this, if we understood who she was, we would be tempted to kneel down and worship her as a potential God. But she has no idea who she is. She's so incredibly lost in terms of what the world is trying to tell her who she is. And our kids can get lost and struggle. We can get lost. And the whole purpose of Zion is to teach us who we are. Because when we know that we, we wax confidence in the sight of God and we know our hearts. So, let me just finish with this. I believe that the, part of the purpose of the temple and sacrifice is to finally prove to ourselves who the Lord intends us to be and who He knows we are. Because we don't prove anything to God ever. He knows us. But we're the ones that have to come to know what He knows. That's what we're like. And I believe the temple is that place. I believe that Zion is that place. I believe that living among the saints and being active among the saints is that place when we come to know you. I bear you my testimony that the Lord wants you to know who you are. To disbelieve the lies you may have been told about yourself. If you will listen to it. And I leave that with you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to make here this morning. We're so grateful for 
Brother Lee for his preparation and his knowledge of doctrine problems. We are grateful for the gospel and the way in which that teaches us and helps us. And pray that we might make the sacrifices in our life, that we can change our hearts, so that we might know who we are in thy sight, that we are truly thy sons and daughters. We are grateful for this Christmas season when we can celebrate the birth of thy son. So grateful for our Savior that he would come to earth and show us the way back to thee and for his atonement sacrifice for us. That Paul has such great love for us. We pray that we might go to our destinations in peace and safety, that we might continue to feel the spirit and remember the things which we learned this day, and that we can apply them into our lives. And we say these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Just so my practice stays really full between bishop and pearls. Okay. I just, um, then maybe you could give me a recommendation. I have a friend at work. She, um, her daughter has had some issues with anxiety. Um, and she took her